Welcome to the Lulu Logic Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Lewis, and we're back at it again. Today, I caught up with a former teammate of mine. We only played together, I think, uh, four years, three and a half, four years, and this dude made a, a real impact on me in that short time. But he was super talented. You always knew what he was going to bring to the game. Funny guy, and it was always great conversations, and We've kept in touch over the years, and I'm glad that he is one of my friends. And I'm glad that you get to listen to this conversation because we cover so much from what's going on today to what happened 100 years ago. Just think, next year it'll be 100 years since the Tulsa massacre and how they burnt down Black Wall Street. And this is where we are today. Process that. But here we go. Without any further ado, this is the Lulu Logic Podcast. Today's guest is from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and went to the University of Tulsa. He was second team all whack receiver before going to the Arizona Cardinals, Atlanta Falcons, Baltimore Ravens, and then north to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Calgary Stampeders. Had his best year in 2010 when he recorded 78 catches. 1170 yards receiving and 15 touchdowns welcome to the show my homie my friend ron bay brian what's up man what's going on man i'm chilling man i'm glad you took some time out to uh jump on the podcast you know i got people calling me now want to get on so i guess i'm doing something right going in the right direction yeah you you got us doing trying to get a podcast <laughs> down here so yeah well, I appreciate it, man. You you never really was a, a man of many words when you played or even at practice. What about now? Has everything has anything changed from then till now? Yeah, a lot has changed. Uh actually <laughs> when I took the uh you know the assessment where they tell you are you're an introvert or extrovert. When I took it when I was playing in a the league, they said I was an introvert. I didn't talk much and or whatever, but now when I take it, they say I'm an extrovert. They actually say is that I'm an entertainer. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I truly believe. I mean, I believe that you know, us players, we adapt to wherever we're at. You know, when I yeah. got out, I was forced to get out there and learn new things. So I had to be an extrovert. I had to be aggressive. I I had to be aggressive about it, intentional. Yeah. Get out there and talk to people and figure it out. That's good, man. Does it feel different? Oh, it feels a lot different. I miss the game. I definitely do. I mean, just think about it. Players like you and I, we probably started playing since we were, what, in grade I, school? Yeah, I started, I think at seven. Yeah, and I seven started in the third grade. So what is that, yeah. seven or eight? Yeah, that's when I there? started. No, I, I played fourth grade and then sixth grade. And yeah. then middle school and high school. So we've been playing off football our whole life, and that's what we identify with. So when we lose that, you know, we lose a part of us. So Milt made a video. You know, he still got them crazy workouts. I see him doing, like, coming from his knees, jumping on his feet, and then doing a jump in the air with 10-pound dumbbells, 15-pound dumbbells. I'm like, dude is training like he's an Olympian right now. He's, he made a comment, coming back at 50. Then G-Roy puts out a video of him jogging. Said, if Milt's going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I was like, well, I'll come back at 40. 
that gives me a year and a half to get in shape. Could you come back and play a season right now? Oh yeah, I give them a good uh, go route. No, I mean, yeah. could you come back? Could if you if you got the train from now until next twenty twenty one season, could you play a full CFL season? Oh, easy. My body's in good shape. You see me on that <laughs> treadmill? <laughs> How fast you ran at on the treadmill? The fat uh, twenty miles. Twenty the miles so that's the one you have to you push have it to yourself. Yourself, yeah. Yeah, man, that's yeah, blazing. So I definitely can come back, especially if old school can come back milk. Maybe we can all get on the same team. Oh yeah, and with the new rules, we we'll go to the we go to the schooners. <laughs> <laughs> Put us out there on the schooners. The receiver <laughs> core is me, you, Milton, G. Roy, and um, we can probably talk Thelwell to coming out of retirement. Yeah, I can see Thelwell coming. I don't know. There will RJ in pretty good shape. You know, he, RJ has to be in shape because he a cop. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Does RJ want it anymore? I, I seen that hit when he got hit by Mo Lloyd the other day on the goal line. He got hit twice in the same game by Mo Lloyd. We caught um, a touchdown across the middle and Mo Lloyd hit him. And I thought, uh, I, thought uh, I thought Elmer Fudd was going to come out and say, that's all, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I doubt RJ would want to come back. You know, he has his family. He He's enjoying being a police officer. He loves it. Yeah. You know, you know RJ, that's the last thing I thought RJ would do. But he's a perfect cop. And that's what we need down here, policemen like RJ. Yeah. Did you see the cop, um, the black cop that put the video out yesterday that he got pulled over by another cop? Have you seen no, that? I, I, saw, I saw, I read the headline. I didn't watch the video. Man, it's so crazy. He said it was the most scared he's ever been. He's like, it's the wolf pulling over the wolf. And the cop asked him, do you have any guns, bombs, or knives? And he says, I have knives and guns in the car. As soon as he said that, the cop steps back two steps and puts his hands on his gun. Wow. And he's like, whoa, 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 I'm a cop. And he's like, I got my credentials. But the cop still stood there with his hand on his gun. And he was like, well, grab your credentials." He said, no, I'm not grabbing anything. He goes, you can come over here and, and grab it. He goes, well, where's your gun? He goes, it's on my hip. Where's the knives? It's above my head in the, uh, in the blind thing right there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess the cop ended up coming over and, and reaching in his pocket and getting his license and stuff out or getting his, uh, yeah, stuff out and, and seeing that he was a cop and everything. But just just the cop saying, grab your grab your wallet. And if he reaches in his pocket, you're Philandio Castro, right? Yeah. He shoots yeah. you and he says you're going for your gun. Exactly. He said he didn't even have his um uh camera on. So he said that's one of the first things he told him. He said, if you don't see a red light, he said, Tell them turn your he was like, turn your uh camera on, your body cam. And uh, a lot of people don't get it. They don't understand what we, us growing up, what we've been through. And yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy that, I mean, and he's a cop. And this thing about it, he's afraid to reach for his own wallet, his own credentials. And that's one of his counterparts. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, how do we get here? Yeah. All right. Well, 
Well, I I got an opinion on that, but I just keep it to myself. We we always you can been share there. whatever you want, man. No, but we always been there. It's you just, know, you cost me money, so let me cost you yeah. some money. <laughs> <laughs> no, we always been there. Like I just think with Corona, with us being quarantined, and then Brene Taylor, Ahmad, and all these things that's happening back to back, back to back. People just had time to focus on that with with all the built up frustration of being quarantined. Yeah. And it was just almost like the perfect storm. Yeah, no sports on, nothing to take your attention yeah. away from it. Exactly. Right. So that's what I think happened. But it's been going on. It's crazy that uh Aubrey, Ahmad Aubrey, that happened in February. Yeah, exactly. And nobody even knew about it until April. Yeah, that's when the mass found out about it. Uh Somebody I know from Georgia post about it. So I, if you go back and look at my Facebook stories, I made a post about it probably the end of February, maybe the beginning of March. Yeah. And then shortly after, like like you said, April, people started, they realized what I was talking about. And it's crazy, man, that, that they try to bury that story. Yeah. It's even crazier that I don't think people understand it's scary on both sides. Right. Oh yeah. We have demonized the color of the skin. If you're black, then we should be afraid of you. And all these other things that now cops are saying is the reason I felt threatened. Right. Yeah. That's all they have to say to get away with whatever they're doing. I've seen a video of a cop choking a guy out the other day with two cops on his back. Another one had his arm around the guy's neck. But then one of the cops tapped him on the back, said, all right, get up, get up, stop. Cop got up. He'd already choked the kid out. Kid was asleep on the ground with handcuffs. But at least the other cop patted him on the back and got him off of him. So and now instead of going to sleep, he would have been dead. That exactly. cop would have held that position. Like you're on, your, you're on the ground with your hands behind your back. Two cops with your hands behind your back. You're not fighting it. And another cop has his arm around your neck, laying on the like laying on your head. That's dangerous, man. It is, and it is all in. Uh, I was talking to RJ about that. Well, not about that situation, but about like cops. And he said the problem here in the U.S. he feels like is that the police police themselves. Yep. And nobody's holding them accountable, and that's part of the problem. And then lack of training. I mean, just, but I I put this out there. I think most cops are good. Yeah, I do too. I believe most cops are good. It's just some few idiots out there. And like you said, you hit the nail on the head earlier. I think people have dehumanized us. Like we're, we're second class. Yeah. And we've been second class for so long. It's everybody common sense to treat us that way. It's second nature to treat us that way. So when we start to fight against that, it's like, no, that's just, no, you fighting against America. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't even be that way. But, I mean, a lot of people are listening now. Unfortunately, George, a lot of bad things had to happen for people to have an open ear and an open heart. Yeah. And that's the best part, right? And that's the one part I try to let people understand is now that people are listening, don't run them away because of anger, yes. right? They're willing to sit at the table now to have the conversation, 
a lot of people want to know why. I've had some really tough conversations with some of my friends from my hometown and, and other places because the fact is, is that they see, you know, well, black athletes make a lot of money or this or that, but, you know, you had a black president. So what is it that you want? And some people really feel that anybody has the opportunity to do it. Yeah, and and I, I uh, they said we had a black president. That's a lot of that, and we athletes. But when Obama was in office, that's when Black Lives Matter was formed. So it might have seemed like we were good, but there's still a lot going on. Yeah. If it wasn't a lot going on, Black Lives Matter wouldn't wouldn't exist, right? So yes, I think we came a long way, but we are we're not where we need to be. Definitely not where we need to be. Have you and seen like hidden you colors? Said, huh? Have you seen hidden colors? No. Yeah, I gotta send you that. Yeah, send it to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, like episode two. I'm gonna send you that one first. It's on melanin and how we're all black. Oh, Everyone's yes. black, and then like everybody. Like they even show tribes in Japan, like that have afros and they're black. You know, the early Native Native Americans were black. You know, Australians were black. Everyone was black. And then, you know, Jane Elliott even talks about it and how she, the further away from the equator, depending on what you ate, you know, different places have different resources, mm -hmm. right? One of the very few places that has all the resources is Africa. Yeah. There's nowhere else on earth that has all the resources. Like, that's why you got to go to Europe or you got to go to Canada or the U.S. or South America, right? But Africa has it all, right? And they, were, they talk about, they said we didn't even come over on ships, that we were already here, right? And that's one, no, of, the big that? one of the big things is one, one guy, uh, Hotep Jesus, uh, he talks about it and he talks about what was it? He said, it doesn't make economical sense to take people from Africa all the way to the U.S. and majority of them are going to die. Why would you go pay for bodies and then majority are going to die? It makes more sense to get here and enslave the people that were already here because you either have to commit gen genocide, which is eradicate them, or you enslave them. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I have to watch that because uh, I mean, the little black history I know, you know, uh, I forgot the name of that historical area where they sold the slaves in Africa and then, you know, brought them over here or whatever. Uh, yeah. Then, you know, the planking and all that, they, they, they talk about all that in history. Yeah, I believe some were, but I believe a lot more were already here. And they even talk about uh, Columbus stopping in uh, another country, a black country, before, before uh, the, in the Caribbean or something, before coming to the U.S. So yeah, they, and that's why uh, the West Indies, they say a lot of slave trades went, or slaves went down that way as well. Yeah. Every, yeah. There's been slaves all over the world. I mean, there were white slaves, there were black slave owners. And that's one of the things about slavery. It's like, I don't even trust our history books anymore because it's, um, it's a false history and they don't even teach the truth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, there's a lot of things. I was talking to somebody uh, the other day. Like, I've been having them conversations like you with different people, you know, that yeah. look different than me about race. And I was talking to somebody from Oklahoma. They didn't know about Juneteenth, and they just recently found out about Black Wall Street. And really? I've been celebrating Juneteenth since I remember. Yeah, My family me too celebrated since I was a little kid. Yeah. I always knew what Juneteenth was. I never I never thought about it in a way of like uh July fourth being Independence Day. Yeah. But if you think about it, we I mean people that look like you and I wasn't free doing yeah. this. But it was only Texas, right? Because everybody else was free two years before. Yeah. Texas, Texas was the only one because they didn't have enough representatives yeah. to come and tell them you're free. So the two years they the first two years that they were basically freed, the the slaves in Texas continued to work as slaves because they didn't even know they were free. Yeah, and they June said 19th, yeah. that's why it's June nineteenth, uh, eighteen sixty five or whatever. Yeah, and Texas was the first one to make it a state holiday. It's still not a national holiday, but they made it a state holiday. So although they were the last, they were the first one to recognize it. Crazy Might part be- is, crazy part is is like. My high school, we didn't get out for Martin Luther King Day. I got out. But they like, know yeah. but they know they know what Juneteenth was. That's crazy. I uh in school, early on in school, we didn't get out for Martin Luther King uh technically we didn't get out for Martin Luther King birthday, but I didn't we didn't go to school. <laughs> get <laughs> like, that perfect attendance. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about your kids going to school now? Like uh, what they're gonna learn? Do you? I, I'm having an issue right now, and I, let me preface it this: because of the history books are lies, mm-hmm. we know that the history books have, they have historically lied to us over and over. Christopher Columbus didn't discover America, but they're still gonna teach that. Yeah, right. They're not gonna teach the truth, and I don't know who's more scared of the truth. Interesting you say that. I, I think it's up to the parents to teach their kids. It's not, I mean, I think they just, they go to school to learn that structure. And is there certain good things, good things about when it comes to history? Yes. Like, but when it, how many, I mean, what do you remember about history in high school and grade school and all that stuff? Now it really doesn't matter. Yeah. It's really what you were teaching them on a day in and day out basis and what they're learning from you. So I think it's just where the parents is going to have to step up and teach them, especially people that look like you and me, to teach our kids their history because they won't learn it in the history books, just like Black Wall Street, just about like Juneteenth, just like a lot of things out there, Rosa Parks and Harriet yeah. Tubman, like the, the narrative they built around them. be the boys. Yeah. Like, the, you know, the... the like we we talk about all this stuff in in the history and i've heard a lot of black like older black people say segregation hurt us the most because we lost our history i remember um when my grandparents went to school they went to an all black school mm-hmm. and they were taught about black history and about all the great black historians and everything but then as soon as they were segregated all those stories got lost because now you started to learn, you could call it white history because that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Because yeah. black history just goes back to slavery. 
Yeah, and that's it really does. It goes back to slavery. And not only that, our dollar, I mean, the black dollar and how it travels, like our dollar leaves the community the fastest when you compare it to other cultures. Yeah. Dollars stay within a community a lot longer than with the black culture. Yeah. So it, it hurt us that way too. Although, I mean, but yeah. And then, like you said, the, the history and just what they taught us. And even though segregation ended, we're still treated like they had redlining. Yep. They had a whole lot of things that still, like it's still towns. The town I grew up in had a black side of town and a white side of town. Mm-hmm. And there's certain schools that don't get the same education as other schools because funded. located. Yeah. So, yeah. When did you learn about Black Wall Street and the Tulsa Massacre? Did you learn about it in the educational system? Were you taught about it uh, when you were a kid? Or, like, been in Oklahoma, how did you learn about it and when? When I was a kid, I learned about it. And um, it wasn't in a school. Uh, I just learned about it as, as part of, like, family or whatever. And just here recently, I found out that I had family members that actually survived the Tulsa massacre. Wow. Yeah, so uh, we had this family reunion or a family call, a Zoom call. I have to send you the article. And uh, we had family members that actually survived the, it was four of them, that survived the Tulsa race riots that had to be uh, taken out of there. But I always knew about it. They probably told me that as a kid, just didn't remember. And then when I went on this family Zoom call, yeah, they they talked about it. And I was like, oh, wow. So seeing all the riots and stuff kind of hit different. Yeah. Knowing that history, because this happened around that time when I learned about it again, I was just like, oh, wow. And how they went there, killed roughly around 300 people and just buried it. 800 people injured, 183, I think it was, seriously injured or died. And they said they would throw them in lakes and water and just burnt everything down. Yeah, they burnt everything down. And then Black Wall Street, it had, oh, I forgot how many businesses on there, but it was it was generating money, like you said. Yeah. It was doing a whole lot, and they just completely, the insurance, I heard the insurance companies denied all the claims. So all, all, all them businesses burnt down. They wasn't, they weren't, they weren't able to get their money back through the insurance company. Yeah. And it all started because they, uh, some black guys supposedly did something to some white lady or whatever. And they traveled to Black Wall Street in this green, uh, like we go there every time Melissa and I go to Tulsa, my wife, she's from there and went to Booker T. We go down there and they trying to build it back up. Dude, it's just so crazy. Like, it's it's really crazy to just think about like somebody could have that much hate and malice for someone over something that the person didn't even choose. Like we don't choose if we're black or white. Exactly. Think about that. You don't even choose it. So to hate somebody for something they didn't even choose. Yeah, it's, I mean it's been taught for so long. Let's think about it. I forgot we was considered three fifths human or something like three fifths compromise. Yeah, from like slaves so. to um, only being when you got a when you voted, you were considered three fifths of a person. Yeah, 
And this thing, look at our history. Uh, look this up. Look at the history of what they call us on app, uh, applications. It went from Negro to Afro. Like when I was in the 90s, they had on applications Negro or Black or African American. And I mean, it's they can't even figure out what they want to call us. Yeah. So just, yeah. But like I said, I think we deal with a lot of implicit bias as well. Yeah. Like you said earlier, like they look at us as athletes. Well, y'all athletes and you make money. And I, I hate when I walk up to a person, I meet someone new and they're like, oh, you must have played, you must have played basketball or you, you play <laughs> football or you, you, you in sports. And I mean, I am, but like, I couldn't just be, I'm in nice areas like the Cowboys club. I yeah. couldn't be a business owner. I couldn't be a C-level executive or something. Because I'm black and big, I have to play sports. Yeah. And I, I don't like that. Or I'm black, so I must sell drugs if I'm in something nice. Yeah. Not that I have. It's not that I'm a, a C-level executive somewhere. I'm a business owner. Do you think black movies, because if you look at, you think about Ice Cube, and you think about NWA, and you think about all these in the 90s, black culture. And they wanted um, even uh, Singleton, John Singleton, mm -hmm. making Boys in the Hood. Do you think that, because I understand it, you want to show where you came from. Yeah. You want to show people what it's like in these places. But do you think now looking back, that actually scares people? Instead of trying to put us in a better light, because after Black Panther came out, it was yeah. something like in, in Korea, I think South Korea was the second highest um, ticket sales besides America. Mm -hmm. And they asked, black, they asked Koreans, like, what did you think about black people before? They were liars, thieves, steal, gangsters, because every time they watch them in movies, that's what they're doing. But then after Black Panther, it changed like 80% of Koreans thought of what black people were and could be. Wow. I didn't know that. So do you think us trying to display what our culture is and the, the neighborhoods that we're from and what we have to survive? And I say we as black people, not me, we as in me and you. Um, yeah. Because mine was way different than that. But do you think that kind of hindered us and hurt us in the long run that now, because if I've never been around a black person and I only get to watch movies and my de depiction of a black person comes from the movies I watch, what would I think about a black person? Yeah. I mean, what Hollywood allowed to get out there and what they publicize. Yeah. That's all you would see is movies like, uh, Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood, but you also had other movies out there that didn't, but yeah, the movies that I would definitely think that too because that's the popular movies that's out there are the ones that's us killing each other, gang, gang movies and all that. Yeah. I never thought of it. I never, uh, I didn't know that about Korea. Yeah. No, that's crazy. Yeah, but I don't think, I mean, I still wouldn't blame that. You know, 
I mean, uh, I don't maybe. blame it. It could it it could affect it affects the psyche though. Because if I never met anybody black, and one, if I hear that black people did this, they're slaves, they're beneath you, or anything altered, and then I watch a movie and I see black people stealing, or black people robbing, or black people being gangsters, right? Yeah. That just confirmed everything I was told. Yeah. So now, when I encounter someone black. Look what kind of confrontation is going to be, right? Because I don't have the knowledge because I don't know anybody black, right? Yeah. I have friends that that's the only saving grace was that they know me or they know my cousin or they know my grandmother or grandfather or, you know, right? Yeah. And that was the only black people they've ever been around or known. Yeah, but... um I read a Facebook post not uh, during all this, and there was a white guy, and he said that his parents had black friends, had black people over to their house, even had try to help in the black community, but what they were taught in that household was that black people were, were second class to white people, meaning that they're just naturally better than them than white and he was like this whole time I was thinking I'm not racist I'm not racist but I was taught when no one black was around what my parents were saying and teaching us was totally different but if you met them you, you would know. have never known yeah so I think that has more effect than a movie yeah so that's why I'm like kind of head like oh, yeah movies but movies are movies but I'm a bias too because I'm black so I don't look at a, a white movie and think, oh, this person, because someone white did this in a movie that all white people are like that. Yeah. But I have a different perspective than them. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy, though. When they say people should, we should move past slavery, right? Well, I wasn't a slave owner or whatever, all this other stuff. What what should we move past? What should become truth? And like, how should we move forward? Like, how what's the idea of moving forward and making it to a place where we can all live and survive and, and enjoy our lives? I, especially now, I don't think we should move past slavery. Like, we have to talk about the history. We never talked about what happened and what was done to us and just really try to fits things. It's just always been all uh, racism in when segregation in, uh, started or ended. And then, oh, now that we have a black pre president, uh, racism is for sure gone. And they always kind of just swept down the rug whenever all this racial tension would come up. So I think we definitely need to talk about it. Now, as, as far as blaming and saying that well, you're never a slave, so you shouldn't worry about it but we're not that far removed from slavery yeah we're not that far removed from just pure racism i my i remember my grandma told me stories when she was the help yeah them calling her niggas and this and that and the third i'm being told this so i'm not supposed to feel that pain and know yeah. that pain so you telling me to just forget all about all that like it never happened but we don't forget about all the other stuff, the, attacks, the attack on America. Any attack on America. 
never forget. That's the tagline of 9-11, never forget. Yeah, but we want to forget about slavery and what was done to us. So, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's a cop-out. you have any positive to how we can move forward? Yeah. What you and I are already doing, like, it, having conversations with people. And like you said, you said that we can't be too forceful with the information. Yeah. Because that's just going to scare them away. They're not going to listen if we're too aggressive and are just just stuffing it down their throat and blaming them rather than just, I mean, we have to show, we have to keep their dignity and show empathy at the same time because some people flat out just don't know. It's pure ignorance. They just don't know. So you can't blame anybody for not knowing how to have that conversation. That's why you have to guide them. And also having allies, like, you know this, as a football player and as a parent and as a coach, as a parents can tell their kids to do the right technique and they won't do it when they get out on the field. But as soon as the coach tell them, they do it. They receive and they absorb it a lot better. So I think in having someone white, someone that's cautious of what's going on, help deliver this message and help with all this, it, it definitely will work. Yeah. That's why I like where Drew Brees, man. I think he had a true learning lesson. And I think that yeah. go a lot farther now with, with, you know, I see him, I see Matt Ryan. And, you know, it's a, it's a hard conversation. It's very sensitive, right? Yeah. Because people don't know what sensitive. to say. Yeah. yeah. They don't know what to say. They walking on, but that's where we have to show empathy. We have to be understanding and like, look, we get it. We know if you're here at the table and want to have that conversation, we know your heart's in the right place. Exactly. So regardless of what comes out your mouth, I'm not going to hold it against you. And I've had conversations where with people that like, yeah, I didn't see flat white people that I didn't see blatant racism. I seen like my age, they said they had seen it and I've been through racism. So like I didn't yeah. deal with racism. So yeah. But like I said, I didn't hold anything against them and whatever. They here to learn and I'm here to tell them my experience and give them my perspective. So hopefully when they go out in the world, they'll be willing to step up and say something when they see it. Man, I'm going to say this. I got to say this 100%, Rombie. Shout out RJ Franklin because he's done a big good on you. Like, you and RJ's relationship, I've seen the growth of you and to have these conversations. Because I don't think you've always would have been able to have these conversations. Oh, no. Even like 10 years ago. Like, that would have been a hard conversation for you to have 10 years ago. 10? Shoot. I would would say five years ago would have been a hard conversation to have with me. Yeah, Like you said, RJ... I, I, I still keep up with RJ. RJ yeah. has been a huge influence on my life. RJ and Milk, because I got to see someone that walked by, you know, they're believers. Yeah. And they keep that same, they talk the talk and walk the walk, even as football players. And you know this, as a football player, you know guys say they're Christians and this and that, this and that. Then when you get around them on the football field and outside the football field, they're nothing like that. Yeah. 
RJ and Milt, they were that. Yeah. It was everything they say they were. They were authentic. Some of the most authentic dudes I ever met in my life. And I truly thank them dudes. And and it's it was a reason God put me at Winnipeg first. Yeah. And you know, like RJ. I told RJ if I had a kid, man, I if I had a son, I'd want my son to be exactly like RJ. Yeah. You know, I tell every every guy I know that has a son around my daughter's age. I tell them like, hey, you can't talk to my daughter. And I tell the daddy like, hey, they can't talk to my daughter when they get older. But I told RJ, I was like, your son might be the only <laughs> son that can, that can actually talk to my daughter. <laughs> How are the two girls doing? Oh, they're doing good. They up in the uh, they up in the room watching a movie. That's why I, why I had to skedaddle earlier to go fix the the volume in the room. And Melissa's up there working. Oh, okay. So everything's good, man. Yeah, everything's good. Just uh, I got my master's now from SMU. Awesome. In what? Yeah. Yeah. Huh? In what? Uh, dispute resolution and conflict management. There we go. <laughs> yeah. And that program, that program has helped out a lot, too. Like, we were talking earlier. You mentioned, like, you know, it's bad on both sides. One of my assignments was the Ahmad uh, Aubrey case. I had to pretty much argue both sides. So I had to like what the family and what people who are fighting for Ahmad, I had to, you know, argue their side from their perspective. And the people who were not necessarily defending the, the guys that murdered him, but just saying it wasn't a race thing it was just an accident I had to argue their side but it was an assignment and it, it truly helps you out trying to look at it from both sides because you go in there with an open mind and an open heart just like it's really trying to learn things so you what I had to do was uh, if I was there to defuse the situation and how would I go about doing it and when you look at both sides, you can kind of predict where one or the other is going to go with yeah. it. Yeah, so that was a pretty cool assignment. It was hard. It was super hard because it's sitting there thinking like, well, how can I look at this from another angle? Yeah, you when know, everything in my life, it tells me how it is. Yeah, and then I had to go look at it from another angle. But, like, that's why I'm willing to have that conversation now because I understand and that's what empathy is, is trying to put yourself in their shoes and walk in their shoes the best way you can and see it from their perspective. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you you got your master's. You've done so much since the game, and we're going to get in that later. But let's start about growing up in in, in Oklahoma City. Like, where where'd you grow up? What part of Oklahoma City you grew up in? And how was it growing up there? Yeah, so uh, I... I moved around a lot when I was younger because both my mom and dad wasn't in my life. So my dad was in, he went to prison the first time when I was a toddler. Then he got out and went back when I was in the fifth grade. He was given life without parole, but mm. he was a nonviolent offender. So, you know, here recently they've been letting nonviolent offenders out. Yeah. So uh, he got out in 2016 or 17. So he was in, he'd been in prison almost 30 years of my life. Mm. So I'm 40. So, uh, so I was raised by my aunt and uncle. 
but my grandparents pretty much took care of me financially. So I spent a lot of time in Chickasha, Oklahoma and Oklahoma City. And Chickasha, it growing up, it had a white side of town and black side of town. And uh, when I was living there as a kid, I was pretty much just a troublemaker. And that's when my grandma, mom, I mean, grandma's told me I had to get out of there. And that's when I ended up back in Oklahoma City. And uh, that's when I started playing football. I always played football, but when I was in Chickasha, since I was a, well, I didn't get any playing time in the seventh grade. Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't get any playing time. And then when I went to Western Heights, I was a starter, and we played Chickasha. And every time we played Chickasha, your boy went off. (laughs) (laughs) Why why was it you think that you didn't get playing time? Well, they – me personally, it was – they had favorites. That's how I saw it. But me – that's how I saw it. But I also was a, I mean, I wasn't a troublemaker to where I was kicking, getting kicked out of school, but I was, a, I was a bit of a knucklehead too. So you were just fighting? Yeah, fight. Uh, like I got a, I've been arrested. I was arrested for the first time before I was like, when I was 12. So before I turned age 13. We, uh, we had my pellet gun and we were shooting at cars as they were driving by. Yeah. <laughs> sound like something you would do too. You and Godfrey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were shooting at cars as we were driving by, and then the cops, uh, someone called the cops. We were at a hotel, and someone called the cops on us. And, uh, I mean, they came out there like we had – I mean, they didn't know if we had a real gun or not. They just yeah. saw some, like, some some black guys with guns, and, shoot, luckily we didn't get shot. And they, they chased us and ended up taking us to jail. The juvenile detention center was full. So they uh, they couldn't take us there, so they allowed us to go home, and we had a court date. And they ended up dropping all the charges, luckily. So uh, it's crazy how 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 that one instance, if that doesn't happen, how much your life changes. Oh, if I was staying in Chickasha, I wouldn't have been playing football. Like the, my grandparents, and I I didn't like it that I had to leave, but my grandparents pretty much kicking me out of Chickasha was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I wasn't playing sports. I mean, maybe I would have got on the right track, but it wasn't looking it wasn't looking good for me because I was getting in trouble after I didn't stole cars. I didn't done a lot of all before the age of thirteen. Wow, sound like Avon a lot. Yeah, I was I was uh, oh Avon. Yeah, Avon uh, talks about that too. Yeah, I was headed down the wrong path. Like I was, I was a knucklehead. But yeah, it was them sending me to Western Heights. You play other, any other sports besides football in high school? Basketball and track. Yeah, I played basketball. I ran track, and uh, I was good in track. It's just I didn't, you know, the true track stars. You know, they run year round. They run yeah. with at the spring and summer. Me, I played football, basketball, ran track, and then in the summer, I would do seven on seven and AAU football. I mean basketball. Okay. So I didn't do track. I was just naturally fast. How was um, Oklahoma high school football? Better than Texas. Uh, on scale one to ten, though, honestly. <laughs> 
What's Texas? Texas is 10. Texas is the, the setter. Then 10. <laughs> how how is high school football in Oklahoma? Did you no, it was good. Did you hear about like, Hank? You played in five A, so uh did you hear about Hank when you were in school there? No, Hank a little bit older than me, so I didn't he like played at Spiral. Huh? Yeah, he's like four years older than you, three or four years older than you. Yeah, I didn't I heard about uh it was another guy that went there that I heard about. He was a fast guy. God, I can't think of his name. I heard of him. Hank would know who he was. It was a guy that went to Sparrow with him that I heard of. And uh, but I played with some guys like uh Wit and Against. Like, what's the biggest name you Brandon probably... Whitaker? Huh? Brandon Whitaker. Yeah, I played with Wit. Uh no, Wit is a little bit younger than me, but Jeremy Shockey. We went to okay. Yeah. So Shockey, I played with him at NEO and we came out. He went to Ada. We both were third team all state. <laughs> in oh, wow. Oklahoma. Yeah. We were both third team all state and uh he went to NEO for a year. Before he went to Miami. Before he went to Miami. And you went how long did you go to NEO before you went to uh Tulsa? Two years. I went uh well I redshirted, then played two years and then went to Tulsa. And I was a walk on at NEO. I was a walk on. Really? Yeah, I walked on. Like, yeah. That's a that's a that's a predominantly good school too. They got a lot of talent. Oh yeah, like they get I a lot played, of that Texas talent too. No, I just told you, Jeremy Shockey. Oh, you has like fifty-seven Texas players. Come on, man, your whole team is Texas. Why'd they come to Oklahoma though? They can't all stay in Texas, huh? Seventeen hundred schools. Okay, think of this: if there's seventeen hundred schools in Texas, over seventeen hundred, if the best two players are every team. Go play college football. Where are they going to play at? How many Texas schools are there, really? If you look at D1, you got Baylor, Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M. TCU. TCU, SMU, North Texas. San Antonio has a new Texas D1 school. Uh, Yeah, the uh, University of Texas, San Antonio, UTSA. Um, Did I say Texas State? Oh, no, you didn't say Texas State. All right, so nine, right? I think nine. You got El Paso. El Paso, yeah. UTEP. UTEP. So we're we're looking at about 10 schools. Did you name Tech and A&M? Yep. Oh. So we're looking at about 10 schools to – and you got 1,700 schools? Like, you – to get in those schools, like, you got to be – and that's a lot. But y'all lose y'all best players to OU. Yeah, we do. So why wouldn't they stay here? I mean, there's there's many factors that go into it. Coaching is a factor. Um, I think errors, so different errors. I think different errors, you're going to have different people coming in and, and doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, hey, one of my last guests was went to OU. Uh, what do you think about uh, that push to get kids to go to HBCUs? Um, okay, here's my thing with it. I got to say this first. When black billionaires start putting their money into HBCUs, I'll tell kids to go to HBCUs. Don't get kids to go there just to push an agenda. Now, if yeah. I'm a black billionaire, 
and I want to put millions of dollars into these programs, yeah. I'm all for it. But I'm not going to push you to that if I'm not willing to put money into my it. dollar there too. Exactly. Yeah. You have, so you have people. Me. You have to have people putting their money where their mouth is. Yeah, I I 100% agree. Yeah, because uh, but I also think if they went there, they they can generate that money because football. My coach, <laughs> my coach at Tulsa, he told us our program pays for the sports bras. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning like it pays for everything. It pays for everything. It pays for everything. So football and basketball, depend with some schools, it pays for everything. How did you pick Tulsa? Uh, I, I chose Tulsa because my my best friend, one of my best friends, Shay. It, they brought both of us in. So it was out of Baylor and Tulsa. And you Baylor, Baylor you'd have been better. No, but they already had a, a receiver that was going to be there. I went in to Tulsa and was their uh what their number one receiver right away. Baylor had uh Newhouse. And he had another year, so I would play the year with Newhouse. And I'm thinking as a JUCO player, I need two years. Yeah. Well, technically, if I yeah, I would need two years to shine to get a shot. That's what my was thinking was then. So Tulsa was just like, well, you'll come here and immediately start. And they had a wide open offense too. Yeah. So that's why I chose Tulsa. And plus, there was one of my uh, best friends, Pat, rest in peace, Shay. He was there with me. So I just like, man, let me just go ahead and go there. I'm glad I did because I wouldn't have met my wife. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Tulsa's a hard school to get into. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, as far it's, a, it's academic. an academic school. Yeah, it is. You know, most schools have, what, general studies and those type of programs. <laughs> that wasn't happening at Tulsa. <laughs> most people don't know how hard and how great an academic school Tulsa is. Yeah, it was hard. Uh, it was hard. I went back and got my undergrad in 2012. And Ben, it was not doing a lot better. I my GPA then was uh my last semester was oh, it was like a three point five or something like that. And I wasn't nowhere near that when I was an athlete. But you know, as an athlete we You got a lot of stuff on your plate. Yes. And people don't realize that. A play a guy that I played with, he had a career in the injury, like early on, like as a sophomore. Uh, but he kept his scholarship. He ended up graduating with two majors awesome. because he has so much more time to work. It made it easier, so much easier. Oh, oh, it was so much. Yeah, you had time to go talk to your professors. If you didn't understand something, you can go talk with them and that's brownie points with them. So they're going to, you know. Talk to the teacher's aides. Yeah, talk to the teacher's aides. And you had a lot more time to study and read, actually read the chapters and sk instead of skim through them. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to SMU as well. Uh, going to sit down in class and actually learning something. I, yeah, it was, it was good. Would you, would you major in at Tulsa? Did you get your degree before you came out? No, I went back and finished in 2012 and, uh, I majored in, so you had to have a minor as well, but I majored in communications and a minor in marketing. Okay. Yeah. That's what's up. 
but you know, I don't know how it was uh, in Arkansas, but most of the guys, I would say 90, 95% of the guys, they're choosing, the, the school is choosing your major for you. They're choosing yeah. your classes, and you pretty much don't choose anything. And I think that's a problem within yeah. college sport. I, mine was health, kinesiology, and recreation with a minor in education because I wanted to teach and coach. I wanted to coach high school football or college football, really high school football. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, I made an A in anatomy and an A in kinesiology. Yeah, I didn't uh, – I had some friends that took the same route. I, kn- I knew I didn't want to coach when I got done playing football. Well, I mean, that was always my dream as the coach. I never thought I was going to play pro football. Like, when when did you think you were going to play pro football? Like, you say you chose Tulsa because you thought you had to play two years to position yourself to have a chance to go. I mean, I'm a Division II walk-on. Yeah. Like, it's not like I'm coming out saying, hey, I'm about to go pro. Like, that, that's not happening. Back then, there was only John Randall and Daryl Green and a couple others. Yeah. Right? That were actually stars. Yeah, I didn't realize I had a chance until I got to TU. And, um, you know, they had junior day where you go out there and run 40s. And then just running 40s then, when I was running, like, consistent 4-3s, like, consistently, I was like, oh, yeah, I might have a shot. Because, you know, people start calling you. Agents start calling you. Yeah. Uh, scouts are talking to you. So I knew I was going to get a shot at NEO. I mean, I was fast there too. I was running four threes and all that, but uh, you know, you just never know at any of because I didn't play. I mean, that was the last chance you. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know, like really, like you play with a lot of guys. They're super that, talented. Super talented. They end up nowhere. You know, <laughs> they end up drug dealers or like, you know, they end up dropping out. So the, yeah. But knowing that, you don't – yeah, you just kind of like, uh, well, if it happens, it happens. I kind of always had that attitude anyway. Like, if it happens, it happens. So, once I started having D1 schools talk to me at NEO, like, uh, I actually chose to go to – so, Oklahoma State was coming to visit me, and then they dropped me. Then K-State was coming – I went to visit K-State. They was coming to visit me. They was honest with me. They was like, it's you and this other kid in California that said that you coach out of y'all too. And they ended up choosing the other kid. So I, I got dropped by K-State. Do you remember so what kid that was? His last name was Cooper. Oh, okay. So look up Cooper that ended up going JUCO from uh, – I can't think of his first name. I think his last – I'm almost certain his last name was Cooper. But – uh. I know Darnell McDonald went to K-State out of JUCO with Michael Bishop. Yeah, uh, Bishop wasn't there when I was there. It was Lockett. Lockett was – it was Aaron, the little – or little, when I say little, he's a shorter Lockett brother. Yeah. Uh, Sproles was maybe a freshman. Uh, Josh Goby was the – so Josh went to NEO. Josh Goby was a running back. Taco Wallace was the receiver. Taco mm-hmm. was one that uh, – Show me around. And then um, who else was there that had a name? Uh, the DB Terrence. Terrence the Newman. Newman, yeah. He was there. 
So I met them, like I saw all them when I went on my visit. Okay. Yeah, so I got dropped by. So it was it was OSU. OSU dropped me early in the run. Like they uh, Woods was having a good year, and they I guess they had receivers. But before the season started, they were talking to me. Yeah. And I was just like, well, if y'all offer me, I'm going there. So <laughs> I knew I I was like, well, if OU or OSU offer me, I'm going to one of those schools. They didn't offer me. Then it was K State. I had my mom, I went on a recruit trip. They was like, yeah, is that a you and this other kid? So he was honest. They chose the other kid. So uh, I ended up going to Baylor. I visited Tulsa. And uh, and I didn't visit the other schools, but I was thinking about them. So it was Troy and North Texas that were talking to me. And I told them I was thinking about it. and But I never went to visit them. So I went to yeah. visit Baylor, though. So Baylor was dope. I I mean, I I still think about it. Like if I went to Baylor, although there was the doormat of the Big 12, I was thinking like I'm playing in the Big 12 though. Yeah. You know, you playing against good teams. And you would have gave it to OU and OS Yeah, You know what I'm saying? I'm playing against them consistently. So I, it was better competition. So uh, that would have been my reason to choose Baylor. But I think you got a better education at, at Tulsa, though. No, Baylor is tough. Baylor's well. tough, too. But yeah, I, I still think, you know. Yeah. Your transition to the NFL. It what was What was your – what happened from your last game, college, to getting to the Arizona training camp? Like, how did that process work out? Uh, so – you know, you get an agent or whatever. Then they, my agent told me, or even when you're talking to different scouts and different people, like they tell you what you're projected. So yeah. I was projected to be, at that time, the draft was two days. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, there was like, you're a day two guy to a free agent. So I knew I wasn't going to get drafted the first day, which was the first three or four rounds or whatever it was, used to be. First three rounds. Yeah, the first three rounds. So it was like you either a second day or uh, a free uh, – you'll be an undrafted free agent. So the second day, I just ended up going to the movies. I went to go see – it was actually – I went to go see Man on Fire. <laughs> and I'm getting texts from my agent just letting me know, hey, teams are still talking about you. You're on the draft board. And this is throughout the draft. And then um, I didn't get drafted, like the draft ended. But, like, minutes after, my agent called me and said it was three or four teams that wanted me. And I remember uh, two of them for sure. It was the Rams and the Cardinals. Them are the two that I remember. I think the Bears and it was somebody else. But uh, the reason we chose the Cardinals because Fitzgerald Fitz and I was the only receivers they picked up out of the draft. Mm. I was thinking uh, in the other teams were picking up like four or five receivers like throughout the draft and free agency. Yeah. So I was thinking my chances Fitz know he has his job and my our thinking was well I just have to beat out one other guy. But uh, yeah I didn't get invited to the combine so I had my pro day was important but what I had uh, a four three. What's your had, fastest hundred? My fastest hundred? I didn't run. I only ran a hundred in high school. Oh, what'd you run in? It was ten five. 
boy moving. Yeah, but that was in high school. But the combine, I actually had people calling me during that. And, uh, but I wasn't invited. I think, you know, your stock go up when you get invited to the combine. Yeah. It goes up. You can a impress lot. or you can, you can, like, oh, you yeah. can, you but your stock, your stock can drop can too. Down and go up. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of them come in out of shape or I'm not going to run and they talk you into running and then it just looks bad. Yeah, it does. And especially nowadays, these entitled kids nowadays, they don't, yeah, they feel like they can go to the draft and do whatever the heck they want or go to the combine anyway. Yeah, I'm going to meet with teams. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to throw. I'm not going to do this. Yeah. Right, it's crazy. I don't want to like, <laughs> it's like, what do you, what do you, when you look back at the NFL and you look back at Arizona, Atlanta, and Baltimore, how was the experience and what did you learn and who were the influential people that you got to be around the most or that had the most impact on you for the rest of your career? Well, Baltimore, it had to be Baltimore uh, that had the biggest influence on me because that team had the best camaraderie out of all the teams that I played with. And uh, the biggest influence at Baltimore was the chaplain, Rob, and uh, Mark Clayton. Because Mark, he's a believer. And then uh, the chaplain, he, uh, I mean, he used to sit down and meet with me one-on-one because he learned my story. Yeah. He just always wanted to work with me. So that was with uh, Mark and my chaplain at Baltimore was the biggest influence on me. And the funnest city by far was Atlanta. Yeah, it it was a you know the cool experience because I actually made the team in Atlanta. Like I played at Atlanta, so that was that was cool. And uh, yeah, I just wish I didn't. I blame me because it's not like I didn't. I took it serious, but like I could have been a little bit more committed to the game. I didn't get serious. I mean, I was serious, but like. I was serious when I made it to the CF. When I got up to the CFL, I was like serious. But what dead. took your what took your mind away from it? Because I mean, you don't drink, so it wasn't like you were out drinking. What what took your mind away from the game? Where you say I should have been more serious towards the game? Because I just always thought I was going to be cut. I just mm-hmm. didn't so it was a mindset confidence. Yeah, I just didn't have the confidence. Like, uh, well. I'm not good enough to be in the NFL, so they probably just going to release me. Where did that and come I, from? I don't know where it came from, to be honest with you. I just I just lacked confidence. I mean, I really did when I was in the league. But did you see people that you thought that were really better than you like that? Like, on, when you go out to practice, it, were you like, man, these guys are just on a different level than I'm at? Oh, no. But no. that's what I'm saying. So, I don't understand where the – I mean, I understand some of the confidence things. I mean, I struggle with confidence as well. But, but to to put yourself on a on a level like you're there. Yeah. Right. You're there, and you're you're there every day. And I mean, you don't have like you have a high output at practice, right? So you can do a lot, and and with that. It's just so much more than a lot of people can do. 
Yeah. But I just think, I mean, it had a lot to do with my upbringing, just like abandonment issues and just little things like that that just mess with my psyche throughout my whole, I mean, I dealt with it even in the CFL, but like in the CFL, it was just kind of a, I mean, that's when I just realized like, man, I got to take this. I mean, not saying I took it more serious, but like I was, I can say I was more dedicated to the game when I was in the CFL. Did any of your childhood stuff, like the the stealing cars, the fighting, did any of that ever come back and, and threaten anything as you were creating success, like in college or in the NFL before you got to Canada? You know what I'm saying? Did the mindset, did it yeah, I got bother the, you? Yeah, in 2004, before the, I got arrested for getting in a, a brawl with some guys. But they ended up dropping all the charges. Where was that at? It was in Interdarko, Oklahoma. Mm. Yeah, like uh, we went to a party. There was some guys there that we had a problem with. And uh, we got in a brawl. Uh, I actually pulled – I had my gun on me. I I didn't shoot it, but I pulled it out. Cops pulled us over, arrested us, and they was like – the gun was registered and all that stuff, but it, since it was over the weekend, they kept us over the weekend and then ended up dropping all the charges afterwards. So that happened in 2004 during the, uh, what was it? It was, it was before the draft and all that stuff. Yeah. So it was in April because I remember it being around Easter time. But before so the it was draft. right before the draft, right before yeah, you coming right, out in the yeah. draft. Yeah, it was right before it because I remember it being Easter and all uh, around Easter because I remember that. Yeah, so I got in that trouble, but luckily they dropped everything. This It was a brawl. I got a scar right here because a guy hit me with a bottle. You, do you think that played a factor on your draft status? I don't think. If they if they knew they they never mentioned it to me. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I, I wouldn't doubt that they knew, but it was never brought up in any interviews or anything like that. And you know I'm not gonna bring it up. So <laughs> we had a player last year in BC. He got arrested, mm -hmm. and it's a very funny video. You know, so like, basically he got himself arrested. He couldn't get in a bar with a hat on. So then he's in there badgering cops when they're telling him to go home. Clearly intoxicated and just wouldn't shut up. Wow. I mean, we never told him that we watched the video. I wonder. We didn't, I didn't, you know me, I'm not gonna hold nothing against you. But at the end of the day, it's just one of those things where sometimes it's best not, it's left unsaid. Yeah. Right. And we didn't know about it until he was already there. I liked him. I thought he was a super talented receiver. Yeah, I I'm wondering if they knew. I'm gonna ask my agent if they knew. Because I never brought it up. I never brought it up because once they dropped the charges, like we just spent it's almost like uh being, you know, drunks. They they just let you stay in the tank and then they release you. Yeah. It's one of those things that's happened to be on the weekend. So they let we was in there like for thirty something hours, and then they let us out. And you know they you have to go in front of the judge. We go in front of the judge. They tell you 
Like, I forgot what they call it, but they end up dropping all the charges and letting us go. And I went to try to get my gun. And they said, I was like, well, I'm here to pick up my gun. They was like, well, we can give you the gun back, but we're going to pick up, we'll pick the charges back up. And I was like, oh, no, no y'all can keep it. But I'm, so I know uh, nothing's on my record from that because I, I got my carry and conceal now and I'm able to buy guns. So yeah. I know there, there isn't anything on my record. How did you learn about the CFL? Did have you ever seen a CFL game before you got to Winnipeg? Mm-hmm. We used to watch it uh, when I was at Baltimore. We we would watch it, and uh, I remember that's when I first learned about cutter gloves. Yeah, watching the CFL. I forgot who we were watching, and guys were sitting there. We in a uh, you know contrast where you go hot to cold. We used to probably me and Cope, um, you know, in Calgary. Yeah. But it was when I was in Baltimore, we used to watch the CFL game. So I knew about it. And then uh, I knew about it when Rocket played in there. Yeah, in the 90s. Yeah, so I always knew about it. I just never really researched it until. Did your agent call you and just say, hey, uh, you got some interest up north? Or how did that process come about? Were you were you about so to hang it up cut... or what, what happened? No. So uh, I got cut, man. I got cut. In 2007, in November, November is maybe beginning of December from Baltimore. And uh, I waited until about January, maybe February, to see mm-hmm. if some other team was going to sign me. And my and then I called my agents. Like, well, I, he told me, like, around December or January that uh, Winnipeg had interest in me. And uh, they acquired me. So they already had rights on me or something. Yeah, neglect. Uh, yeah. And uh and I told him like if I don't get signed by this time, then I wanna I'll go up there. And freaking like a month within me signing, I a team start hitting me up saying for tryouts. Mm. I I wish I would have waited a little bit. Like, <laughs> I don't have no freaking patience. So they start hitting me up for tryouts and you know, once you sign he was uh, – it was a done deal. Yeah. And then after my second year up there, or, you know, you had the one in the option or whatever. Yep. Uh, the SFL came around. And I – the SFL team, I think they – it was Sacramento's team. My boy Corey Ross. Do you remember Corey Ross that played with Edmonton? A running back maybe yep. a year? Yeah. Yep. He played with them. And uh, he told me about it. And then I ended up not going because I was like, man, I don't know if y'all going to survive. My agent was like, man, I hold off and see if they survive a year or two. I'm, I'll talk to the receivers coach and everything. I was about to leave after my first year at Winnipeg. Okay. But I decided to stay. I'm y'all, had not, y'all had a nice receiver for your first year at Winnipeg. Yeah, we had uh, – You, Strong, Milk, D. Strong. Yeah. I would love to do – an episode with you, four or five, you, Terrence, D. Strong, and Milt. I set it up. I, I'll that would be awesome. Yeah. I said, I, I hit them up. I still talk to Milt. I, uh, I talk to Milt and RJ probably the most, and then Terrence would be after that. Yeah. And then I, uh, Strong lives here in Texas. I run into him every so often at a event somewhere. But let's set it up. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, because we uh, 
Yeah, we had a hell of a year that year in 2008. How'd we you had, fit in there? Huh? How'd you fit in when you first got there? I didn't talk to anybody. Like, they, uh, yeah, I didn't talk. I almost quit. Wow. I just, being, like, homesick and just not want to be there. Like, no reason. It's like, man, this is, you know, the game was different. I picked it up, obviously, because I had a good first year. I had a, a thousand my first year. Yeah. You busted and, our ass. You yeah. got a game-winning touchdown from Dinwiddie. Yeah, then with it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was then, a back and forth, like, didn't we think for like 500 that game? Yeah, we were going back and, yeah, we were going back and forth. And I, it was, uh, y'all had, y'all had a hell of a DBs. It was BB, DA, Smitty. Keon, or Shannon James. Yeah, Shannon James. Brandon yeah. Isaac, Milk Collins. Yeah. Lysak. Hell of a, y'all had. Juan Armour. Played linebacker, Ben Joe. Yeah, Ben Charleston. Joe. And Lysak. Yeah, yeah, Lysak back there. Yeah. And we, like our receiving core, like our coaches were so cool. We would, we would switch positions without the coaches didn't care. Like we'd be in a huddle, uh, KG or then we would call a play. Like the game went to touchdown. Armstrong and I switched on that play. Really? Yeah, we switched it's, in the huddle on that play. It's so crazy because, you know, KG was the starter. Dinwiddie starting his first game and um, – well, really, starting his first game there because he started in the Grey Cup the year before. But didn't we start in his – well, no, then we started and we were just like, oh, we're about to win this game. And we yeah. went out there and – that's a tough place to play, man. Winnipeg's a tough place to play. Yeah, I had fun in Winnipeg. Winnipeg was – I, the city, I had more fun in Winnipeg than I had in Calgary as far as the city. Really? By far. By far. You didn't do nothing. No, nah, I didn't do nothing in Calgary. Calgary wasn't, like, fun to me. Like, I, I didn't – I don't know. Like, seriously, like, I had a lot more fun in Winnipeg than I had. And maybe because Winnipeg is smaller. Yeah. So, you, know, you, meet, you meet people in the city, so you know everybody. You hang – everybody hangs – like, as a team, we hung out as a team. Calgary, I didn't, like – Yeah, people didn't hang out like that. It was clickish. Yeah, it was clickish. It was a, yeah, it was clickish. And then towards the end, I started to hang out a little bit, but, like, Shouldn't hang out with me more. No. Nah. <laughs> nah. He said, nah. Why nah, brother? Nah, nah. Nah, you had a girl at the time, too. Yeah. Yeah. Should have hang out with me when more. did you meet Allison? What year did you meet Allison? Man, look. Um, we got together in 2012, 2013. Somewhere in there. Also, you met her when I was – I know I met Allison. It had to be 2012. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, because yeah. I was gone in 2013. Yeah, so um, met her in 2012. Or, no, met her years before. But we, you know, I, me and Steph were together. Yeah. So, you know, when me and Steph split up uh, 2011, 
And then me and Al start hanging out in 2012. Yeah, y'all, uh, you all keep your coverage twice. <laughs> then I strike out. <laughs> oh, man. Twice. Man, let's talk about the trade. You getting traded to Calgary. At halftime. Tell the, tell the story. So we, we were playing Montreal. And uh, well, obviously you, I didn't know during obviously I didn't know during the game. And after the game, I'm on the bus. You know, I'm always the first guy out. I'm sitting there on the bus, and it was either Ross or uh, not what's the uh, Murphy. I yeah, think it was John Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, they came out and like called me off the bus, and I'm thinking like, oh, somebody want to interview or some I forgot something in the locker room. And they was like, uh, Robbie, uh, we just traded you to Calgary. And uh, actually, when you get to the airport, you have to fly to Calgary instead of Winnipeg. And they got everything set up. So you're going to be practicing for them this week and playing for them <laughs> the following week or whatever. I was like, thank you. Literally, I was like, thank you. Because I wanted out of there. I, I didn't like Kelly. Coach, or Mike Kelly? Yeah, yeah. I didn't like him. So on my way to the airport, RJ called me laughing. It said, uh, like, dude, I'm so happy to get out of here. <laughs> 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 and we, we were talking, like, seeing where uh, – seeing when – because he was going to fly there too. Yeah. And he was like, ooh, I'm, I'm so happy to get out of this place. So uh, at the whole – I mean, at the airport, I'm kicking it with them and this like had laughing and having fun and I don't want to say who the players I was sitting with and they was just like dude you lucky at least you know you're gonna get a play with I mean a playoff Play check, check. <laughs> <laughs> said, at least you know you're gonna get one playoff check and I was just like yeah man yeah people I yeah I didn't like it there that year man it was just like some of the things like that happened like our first game what was it no it was our first game you know, you know who the starting lineup is before the game, right? Yeah. They walked around and handed out paper, so a certain player was starting the whole week before the game, right before pregame. During pregame, they walked around with a sheet of paper saying, "Here's the starting lineup," and the guy that was starting looked at it and it wasn't him. And he was like, man, I ain't suiting up. Like, they, they waited right into pregame to tell this man he wasn't starting. That'd be crazy. They didn't tell him. They didn't verbally tell him. They handed him a sheet of paper. Say, here's the starting lineup for today. Have you ever heard of that? No, that's crazy. Because now you're putting your players at a negative deficit, right? Attitude goes into so much of, of sports. Like, yeah. your confidence, your attitude towards the game. Now you're putting – because they want to put you in a situation where you look like a bad teammate. You say you're not going to suit up, you look like a bad teammate. Yeah. Yeah, that player ended up getting uh, released or traded. But, yeah, that's that was crazy. I've never seen that. I mean, I ain't never seen someone get traded during a game either, but <laughs> – I mean, I guess it was, it shit happens. 
what what was your first thoughts when you first got to Calgary of like me and and Cope and Rambo had just tore his ACL. Um, he got a horse collar by Big Hill, and we needed to replace that that spot with some speed, and and that's where you came in. No, I was excited because I, I mean y'all y'all you know you and Cope especially well Rambo the year before that, but he was hurt, and um, but you and Cope y'all was lighting it up. And I knew I was get an opportunity to play, and then going to play in that position where Ram played, I was excited. Yeah, I was worried because I didn't know how I would uh, adjust to you know y'all's system, because that was only my second year in the CFL and just learning Winnipeg's offense. I was just thinking like, dang, now I had to go whole, learn a whole new offense learn, you know, Hank. And, you know, when I first got there, Hank and I used to stay after practice and work so we can build our chemistry up. So I think that helped a lot. And then with players like you and Cope, y'all helped out a lot. Like, Cope used to help me out on that boundary. Yeah. To make sure I, to make sure I was ready. So, uh, I mean, I figured you guys weren't selfish type players. Yeah. Anything? We sound like I mean, I figured that we're angry, but we're not, you know. Oh, no, y'all wasn't. Yeah, I, I didn't make it any better, <laughs> especially <laughs> when me and Ram was on the <laughs> me and Ram was a, boy. Yeah, when me and Ram was out there, I yeah, it was pretty bad. You too, 2010, you know, how many fights we got. <laughs> y'all got kicked out of the game for fighting uh, Chip and Billy. Yeah, I was just trying to. Break it up. What? Who was that Benjo? We jumped on the sideline at Edmonton. Benjo ju- drug him to our sideline. Oh, I don't even remember who it was. You jumped to the sideline. Everybody Edmonton. jumped in. <laughs> <laughs> I got fined for that. They that showed was, me. I was, was like, that Labor Day? Day? They showed me on film. The, the film people showed me. <laughs> they me on the sideline. Put on my helmet and run off with that. You you broke a record. You're in the you're in the record book for 2009. Most yards without a TD. Yeah. Who would have had it? Me. <laughs> I scored in week 17. Yeah. That's How does that year. feel? Huh? How does that feel? I'm just happy to be in the record books. You that's, know who, that's trivia. I think RJ would have got it if you if you would have scored. There was another person on our team that would have got it if you would have scored. Yeah, because, yeah, when me, when RJ and I got there, we started to eat. I mean, get a lot of balls again, Pauls. But we started, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, yeah, y'all offense was good to us. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't care. I remember when the, I remember when the media wanted to talk to me about that. And I was like, I don't, I don't care. Like I much rather win. I mean, I want the stats and I want the touchdown, the accolades, and all that. But I don't care about having the most receiving yards without a TD. Yeah. Like I just didn't get it. I mean, oh well. We still made it to the playoffs. But 2010, you bounced back with 15 touchdowns. Yeah. I did. I I led the receivers in touchdowns, didn't I? Yeah. In the in the. uh, me, you, and Ram almost all had twelve hundred. No, remember I had twelve hundred. They took one of my catches away from me for a penalty. 
No, like it just didn't count it. It really? was like a catch at the end of the game. Yeah, I remember uh, during the season, I remember, no, during one of the games, we were looking at the stats and they they gave that catch to somebody else. And they never fixed it on mine. We got to get that fixed, man. That would have been two 1,200-yard receivers and Ram, Ram had 1170-something with uh, – and he missed the first, like, four or five games. Yeah. Yeah, that year we almost broke the Calgary record, right? Or was it the CFL record total off? Yeah, like we having was, three. Ooh, that was the best team I've ever been. That's the best team I've ever been part of. Yeah, we used to beat up on some people. Joffrey like, Cornish. It was like when uh, OU was blowing everybody out in the Big Twelve. Like we were blowing a lot of people out. We just we plateaued like Saskatchewan that. I mean, we put I guess up 50. Can... We put up 50 like four times that year. We averaged, yeah. I think, 37 points a game. It was ridiculous. Like I said, we we had uh, Cornish, Joff, and Hank all had over 500 yards rushing. The three of us had 1,000 yards, and then RJ had something like 800 or something like that, or yeah. 700, 800. So it was like – but if Hank – no – Matter of fact, if Hank would have got over 500 yards rushing, we would have broke the record. But they set him down in Winnipeg, and he ended up with, like, four-something. Well, remember, Hank didn't play the second half. In Winnipeg, right? The like, No, the last three games. And then in yeah. Winnipeg, he only played the first two drives. Because remember, as soon as we went down and scored the first drive, y'all went and jumped on the, uh, on the boat. And then the second time, y'all went and jumped on the uh, – the, the jets, y'all jumped on the jet skis once, and then the four wheelers or something. Yeah, you and Ram. Yeah, yeah. I forgot who did which one, but yeah, one of us jumped on the four wheelers, another one jumped on the jet skis, and I, Ram was mad about that because I didn't get a flag and he did. <laughs> <laughs> so he was pissed off about that. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, yeah. So when I when I look back at it and. Like we talked about the defense being so talented in 2010 as well, dude. That was when you when you put the collection of talent together like that. Yeah, that's a that was an amazing team. I was glad to be a part of that team because I, I remember I didn't play I didn't play the second half of the game before the last game. So I remember I was sitting on the sideline with my jacket on. And then we went to Winnipeg. They were like, you're only playing a quarter or two series or whatever it is. And so we had went – me and Joff had went out to Earl's. And, yeah, we had a fun time. I remember on one, uh, one of the bus rides, the plane rides, it was right before the bye, and we were like something like we – Five and one, or something ridiculous. We, you know, and you was like, man, if, man, if we end up like nine and one going to the bottom, <laughs> shit, you know, like, I'm shutting it down. <laughs> I was like, man, these dudes are crazy. Man, we had nine and one. Um, we were, we were finishing bottles on play rides. <laughs> we finished. Five of us finished a one seven five of Crown yeah. from Winnipeg to Calgary, two hour flight. That's crazy. 
Yeah, that's crazy. Dude. Uh, Calgary, by far, was the – although Winnipeg, I had more fun in Winnipeg. That, like, Calgary was the best team I played with by far. Yeah. Especially 2010. Best overall team I played with, especially 2010. It was it, That was a fun year for us. Yeah. I, I think they screwed us because we had that bad boy. Like, that flag I got in Saskatchewan, I mean, against oh, Saskatchewan. Oh, for flexing? You, yeah, you looked like, at the crowd and flexed and they gave you a penalty. That That's the game. Yeah, like. It us the game. Yeah. Really. <laughs> no, there was that. We should have had that fumble at the one-yard line if Lossack picks it up. If he just jumps on it instead of tries to pick it up and score when Gerald Freeman jumped on it in the end zones. When they yeah, come to that punt, we get that right there. The game's over. So it was it was very unfortunate. What do you remember most about your career? And what do you what do you look back on as being like your best moments? My best moments of my career, I would say my the game winning touchdown against Saskatchewan. Twenty because you know early in that game. I had a fumble. Two plays before that catch, I dropped the ball. So just think, like, I mean, I think it was like the fourth quarter. I called a curl route and I fumbled. They picked up the ball. They eventually scored. They recovered the fumble, eventually scored. Then they took the lead late in the game. I think it was the first or second play of the game. Uh, Drew threw me a go route. I dropped it. And then, like, a few plays later, I caught the game-winning touchdown. Yeah, that's um, mindset. Yeah, that, but that's that's what we're taught. We've been conditioned to think that way our whole career. Like, you just have to – you have to have a, a short memory. Yeah, and, and just, you know, something that you can always hear Huff say is reload. Reload. Speak on that, because you've talked to people about that, and you've incorporated that whole – just that one word and what you do now. Can you just speak on that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, it's really a mindset. You, I mean, you have to reload. Like, we, in life, you just face opposition. You face adversity. And uh, it's funny. I was talking to a guy earlier, and I gave this. I was like, man, you know, in football, it, it taught me a lot of things. And, you know, as a receiver, when you go across the middle, the coaches always tell you, you might as well catch the ball because you're going to get hit anyway, right? Yep. You might as well catch it. Because I used to go across the middle and have alligator arms, and if I drop the ball, I get hit anyway. And uh, it's the same thing in life. You might as well try things and get out there and do something and move around and try new things, put, get, put yourself in uncomfortable situations because life is going to happen. Life is going to hit you anyway. So you might as well get out there and try to do something and be happy about it. Yeah. So that's what reload taught me because that's, I mean, if you're, if you lose, you fall, you have another shot. You got you have to reload. And like I said, uh, in the speech I gave one time, I was just like, and even at our highest high, Huff would be like reload to bring us back down. Like we yeah. got to continue to get out there and move things. Even and, when things uh, are going good. Yeah, regardless if we 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 can be that as a highest high or lowest low, Huff is like reload. 
reload. He, he didn't let us get too high. He didn't let us get too low. And that's what it taught me, just get out there and continue to try, continue to try, continue to try. Because it's going to happen anyway. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. So that's, that's what awesome. it taught me. What are some of the tools that you use to transition? Because, like, I've, I've, I've been a part of your whole transition. Like, we've stayed in contact through your whole transition. What are some of the tools that you use um, to succeed in the transition? When you, what do you mean when you say tools? Like, like uh, just uh, some of the things that you use, like resources. Or oh, okay. What are some of the things that you've done to? Because when you transfer, I mean, when you when you transition out of sports, did you know what you were going to do? No, it was a lot of like what I just kind of told you, a lot of trial and error, and I did utilize my resources. So I talked to guys like at the end of my career in the CFL, I talked to guys like Jack. And I got off-season jobs my last two uh, years in the CFL. I got off-season jobs just – I didn't have to work. I just got them to have something on my resume and kind of figure out what I want to do. So kind of just like prototyping, like getting out there, trying to figure out what I want to do, what I want to do and see if I like it. And then also uh, tapped into the NFL resources. The NFL, since I had uh, years there, they had resources for us. So I took advantage of, I mean, at least minimum 95% of the resources they had. They paid for my school. They had different programs. I've been to Baptist Business College where they, they had a certificate. I've been to the speaking bureau because I want to be a speaker and got a certificate there. Uh, joined Toastmasters because to get help and get help with my speaking. I remember going to a school one time with you in Calgary and uh, we had to talk to some kids on stage and I was nervous just saying my name. Mm. <laughs> and like now I'm giving speeches in front of hundreds of pe people. So, I mean, but I, I was intentional about putting myself in uncomfortable situations because we get like us players we're we've been players our whole life. And we're just kind of conditioned, and this is all we know. So when we leave the game, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it just – I stumbled into insurance because nobody else would hire me because they say I had no real uh, work experience. Football was the only thing on my resume. And th and so then I was you forced to open my own business. And then you started your you, – you started your own insurance company, right? Yeah, I started my own farmer's insurance company. And How was that? that for, huh? How was that? It was good. It was tough. It was tough. I would. I wish I would have had a mentor in that business because they would have taught me how to run a business. I was getting business, but I didn't know. I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know how to operate a business. So I was just. It was like a hamster on the wheel, just running in place and not really just doing good enough to stick around. Yeah. You know. So, uh, but it was fun. It forced that networking forced me to put myself in an uh, uncomfortable situation because I I was always that quiet guy that just sit in the corner didn't want any recognition. Like uh, I remember before a game, Dave told me, or after a game, I was like, Dave, why why you stop throwing me balls? And like, is this something wrong with me? He was like, No, nah, but like Rombie just sometimes and he was probably telling me an indirect way like start speaking up but he was like sometimes the squeaky wheel gets the grease 
Yeah. You know, and I'm not that guy that's going to sit there and yell at the quarterback, yell at the coaches for not throwing me the ball. I and, was. Uh, yeah, you was. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but I know what needs to happen right now. Yeah, and he said that he, he was like, I mean, he's like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Like, yeah. So, and Huff, Dave, Huff, Dave, and Pete then taught me a lot. That's why I, I appreciate them. And I wish I would have, I mean, I know I was a good player for them as far as being good on and off the field, but. You know, you know I have my ways. Yeah. And they and and they know I have my ways, but like it, our relationship could have been a lot better, because Huff actually pulled me aside and talked to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. Much respect to those guys, man. All three. Yeah, much respect to them. I learned a lot. Any advice for anybody transitioning out? Uh, sports or just in life with the COVID going on and people are transitioning from like you have bartenders and, and waitresses and waiters and stuff that when you open up 50%, they're not going to have jobs, right? So you have a lot of people losing jobs. You have the world changing. Do you have any advice for people listening to this right now that's in their own transition that can help them make it a little bit easier for them? I mean, without knowing the exact what they're going through I, I mean just really keep your head up like just understand this be intentional about everything that you do and make things happen just don't sit there and think it's just gonna happen you have to get out there and make it happen whatever it is and what helped me the most is just utilize my resources that can be your network like now if you're furloughed or uh getting unemployment you can be out there, proto, like I said, prototyping, reaching out to your network and uh, talking to people about different opportunities that may be out there. Because although that company or wherever they work at might not be hiring people, there's other companies out there that's, that are going to hire people. And yeah. Yeah. And like I told, I mean, one thing I told myself, man, I'm trying to come out of this thing better than I entered it. Yeah. This COVID situation, this quarantine, because you can get complacent. Like you can get used to, you can create bad habits, uh, sitting in the house all days on Facebook, not working out, whatever the case may be. Yep. So, like I said, just to just be intentional about everything that you do. Man, that's awesome. I appreciate you for coming through, man. No, I appreciate you. We covered yeah, a lot of I stuff, man. We covered a lot of stuff today, and I appreciate you sharing your story. Like I told you yesterday, you know, I'm so proud of you because, you know, the guy I met in 2009 to the guy I sit across the computer from right now, totally different dude. Like I can see the introvert and the extrovert, right? And you've done so much and you've been so inspirational even to me uh, in my transition and uh, just been a huge part of my life. So I appreciate you, brother. No, I much appreciate respect, you. man. Salute to you because you – You've done it the right way, you know, and it and this goes to show you, man, it's not where you start. It's what you want to build and how you want to build to it. And uh, we're building this thing and, you know, we're just continue to move forward and you continue to do your thing. And, you know, it's, um, it's good. I got to see you last time I was in Texas and we got to hang out a couple of times and um, I got to see how small my house is and 
<laughs> so is there any way that um, anybody can reach you on social media or find out what you're doing and, and how you've been doing? Yeah. Uh, ah, man, I wish I would, you got to me before this. Uh, we, you know, I told you about our podcast, The Dope Experience. Yeah. We actually have an Instagram page, Facebook page, and YouTube channel, but I don't, um, we haven't even did our first episode yet. So well, stay tuned for The Dope Experience. Once I get all that, but, huh? Tell them what, what dope, dope is, tell them, tell them what it stands for. Oh, yeah. So dope stands for developing one's perspective every day. Developing one's perspective every day. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's what we try to do. Uh, I'm a certified executive coach. Javier, you met, is a certified okay. executive coach. And uh, and Sal works in HR. So we just get in there and talk about, li- I mean, like leadership and conflict. And there's different things to deal with leadership. And I know it from a football perspective. So we kind of just tied the two together and just like, give, you know, give a football story about leadership and then tie it into the corporate world and how it will work in the corporate world. We talked about code switching in, uh, before. Like we've done a show, but we haven't aired and put it out yet. But we okay. talked about code shedding your black, you know, how, you know, you probably know this, how well, you have to wear two different hats when you work in corporate America. You're not yeah. the same person in your household than you are in corporate America. And why is it like that? Why do you have to co switch? Why can't I show up and be my authentic self? Why I have to talk, act, and dress a certain way to get a seat at the table? Yeah. So great conversation. Yeah, it is. And it's, I mean, I feel like I believe now, now is the time to have it. Because we yeah. talked about, about this earlier. People's eyes are open, ears are open, and their hearts are open to hear. So, yeah, they might as well have that difficult conversation. Check out the dope experience, man. I'm looking forward to being on there. Yeah, you will. I already told them. I was like, we have to get Nick on there. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We have to get you on there. It's going to be fun. Well, I'm proud of you, brother. I appreciate you for coming through. Any last words for anyone listening? Right down to all your people in Oklahoma. Oh, I did have one question that I forgot to ask you. What's Who that? Is Who is the greatest OKC basketball player of all time? We're not counting Seattle, just OKC. Oh, uh, OKC player? Yeah. Who is the greatest of my favorite? Who is the greatest? You, you, why are you, you trying to force me to say something I don't want to say? No, I'm not trying to force you to say it. I'm asking for your opinion. KD. Okay, there we go. He's not my favorite. I didn't say he was. He's not from Texas. I ain't from D.C., but he went to Texas. <laughs> and, and, and I was just thinking about the whole Kendrick Perkins thing when he tried to say that Russell Westbrook was, which was foul on that. But, yeah. I just want to know what you thought. Hey, I just want to know what you thought. I didn't want to – I wasn't trying to put you in a corner – you yeah, know, you're no, gonna put baby in the corner. I want you to do that. He's a he's a one in a lifetime talent. Like what is he seven foot? Best player in the NBA. Yeah, he's. You say what? He's the best player in the NBA right now. No, I wouldn't give him that. Before his injury, he was the best player in the NBA. 
best scorer, maybe, but not the he's best the overall. best player in the NBA. He's got better defensive stats than LeBron, better offensive stats than LeBron. Put it out there. Nah. I mean, KD's good. I like him. Great. He's not. Yeah, he's great. KD's great. He just wasn't my favorite player. I like I like Westbrook's mentality. He's more my, I like his mentality, too. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't like I was a – I wasn't mad when KD left. A lot of people were mad about it. I was like, that dude did what was best for him. Yeah. Well, next time we're like, going to talk about the guns. Oh, my God, yeah. We're yeah, going hunting. Ask your boy. We're going to go back hunting. He got a yeah. restaurant now too, so he got a he got a place downtown, so we can stay there at at the uh, place downtown. We go out there and go hunting in the mornings. Yeah, definitely. I want I, I want to go hunting. Okay, I'll hit him up. Yeah, when when is the next time you're gonna be here? Uh, next month for that uh football uh that softball game. Mark's supposed to be playing in it. Oh yeah, I talked to Mark earlier. Yeah, I mean like, I I think like a thirty minutes before we got on uh, uh this. We all going to get together. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That'd be good. Yeah, I set it up, and I'm going to talk to Milt and uh, RJ, uh, Milt, Terrence, and uh, Orange Strong about that uh, podcast, Get On Your Podcast. Boom, there it is. <laughs> Lulu Logic Podcast, baby. We blowing up. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming through. Peace. Yeah, I appreciate you.